Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Governor J.B. Pritzker has signed a $45 billion capital construction plan that will upgrade roads, bridges, parks, and more statewide. It will be paid for by a gambling expansion bill he signed along with it and higher taxes for gas and cigarettes. That capital bill is going to mean big things for transportation in this state, and that is good news for Metro, the commuter rail line, which is facing several challenges. Well, this week, we're going to talk with the head of Metro about all of that. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this week is James Derwinski, the CEO and executive director of Metra. It's a position he's held since 2017. Like his predecessor and previous guest on this program, Don Orsino, he's come up the ranks. He started his career in the industry as an electrician with the Chicago and Northwestern Railroad, which became the Union and Pacific. He started working for Metra in 1997. He rose through the mechanical department, and he learned Don Orsino's job and style from Don himself. So he had a good teacher, and now he's the one leading the agency and meeting the challenges. Jim Derwinski, welcome. Thank you. Um, Let's talk about the breaking news first. Uh, Through Monday, the public's going to be hearing more and more details about the Capitol bill that the uh, governor signed and the many projects it will fund. But how is Metra going to benefit from this capital program? Well, greatly. And more than Metra, our passengers are going to benefit from this because it's been a long overdue um, bill. Uh, The legislator did an incredible job raising the levels higher than we've ever seen. Uh, We're going to replace coaches. Um, A lot of people may or may not know half of our coaches are over 40 years old. And so those coaches are going to be on the list to be replaced. We already have a request for proposal on the street, hoping to get a contract in place maybe later this year, beginning of next year. Half of our bridges, uh, 400 of our bridges, are over a century old. So this is a key element of the infrastructure that we operate on. Passengers aren't going to notice that, but they are going to make the railroad remarkably more robust into the future. Station upgrades. We have a lot of stations that need a lot of work, um, from cosmetic work to complete rebuilds. A lot of our stations are historic. They don't have the ADA accessibility. So part of our program is going to be upgrading those stations and bringing those up to snuff. And once again, trying to really enhance the customer experience. A lot of little projects. We recognize that communication is one of the things that um, is challenging. We have a new communication system that's being deployed. It's going to be enhanced. We're looking at TV monitors at the station, similar to a CTA station, so passengers can readily see when is the next train coming, where is the next train going, Our system overall is not as friendly as it could be compared to a lot of our sister agencies out there with respect to the not normal riders. So the people coming into town, it's it's kind of a difficult system to use, and we're going to address that with this capital bill. Um, For the rolling stock, um, you were talking about that, you know, how much of the stock is old. How much are you going to be able to replace? So... 
The Capitol bill itself, um, one of the best things about it, it has the pay-go portion of it, which is going to come from the motor fuel tax. Um, with that ongoing sustainable funding, we are actually going to be looking at the potential of bonding. Right now, Metro has no bonds out. We have no debt. Um, so the potential of actually repa- replacing all uh, 400 of the cars, say, over the next eight years, um, th- there's a great possibility of that. We're going to have to obviously show the board the, the entire capital program now that we have this new funding source. But our goal would be to actually replace 400 of the cars or half of the push-pull fleet that the diesels use. Now, what about uh, the uh, locomotives, the diesels? Uh, because let's face it, when passengers hear uh, mechanical problems, that's usually centered around the uh, the locomotives, not the not the cars. You know, for the most part, you're, that's totally correct. I mean, we certainly don't get nickel and dime and pick out exactly what a mechanical failure can be, but. Just an air hose coming apart on the train after hitting debris is going to be called to the passengers a mechanical failure down the road that becomes a debris strike as we categorize things. But the number one place we can not only drive reliability but drive efficiency will be in the locomotives, uh, fuel, more fuel-efficient locomotives, and then um, shifting from what's called DC, direct current traction, to AC, alternate current traction, just ultimately more reliable. Uh, we have a... Uh, a procurement on out right now an award to buy up to 42 AC locomotives. They're used. Um, they're actually converting freight locomotives into passenger locomotives. So they have the, the robust AC traction under them. They'll have a little better fuel economy. They'll have a much better emissions footprint for us. And as those come in, they'll replace a portion of our fleet. We have about 150 locomotives within the fleet. And the, the big thing that happens when you use federal dollars, which has been our only source recently, there's a life expectancy behind the investment of 10 years. So as we look toward the locomotives, we wouldn't be right now replacing whole fleet because of the investment we have federally, also because we also have some solutions coming into place, but new locomotives will be on the horizon for a portion of the fleet. I want to go back to one of the things you mentioned, which was the bridges. Um, yeah, some of your... As you point out, some of them, uh, those bridges are getting really old and need to be replaced. Is that going to also make a difference in what kind of locomotives you can use? I, I, I understand that there are some areas where they, they can't use the, the newer, heavier locomotives because of the bridges. Yeah, some of the bridges clearly that date back into the 1800s. We, we inspect them all the time, make sure they're safe, but there's uh, weight restrictions on them right now, and, and our heaviest locomotives are banned from those. So as we start replacing more and more of those bridges, specifically on the Union Pacific lines, um, the UP North spe- more specifically, uh, as we replace a lot of those, then we'll have more flexibility in where we deploy locomotives. Um, I want to uh, turn to the south suburbs because that's another area where some new things are going on. Uh, you met with other transportation officials and the public in Harvey uh, earlier this month. The topic was improving public transit in the south suburbs. Uh, We can stipulate that public transportation (laughs) is a a major issue and a challenge in all all the suburbs. But what are the special uh, situations or the special problems that exist in the Southland? Well, specifically what, what happened here is under Tony Preckwinkle, President Preckwinkle, she uh, um, commissioned a study called the South, South Cook Mobility Study. And within that study, what it really showed is the residents that have the greatest need for public transportation 
have the least access to public transportation. So the heat maps really point to where some solutions can be. And right now that, that is directly within the South suburbs. So we had a conversation with Cook County and then we had a conversation with uh, PACE, the suburban agency, and we said we needed to have this conversation with the public, hence why we did the Harvey Public Town Hall meetings uh, last Tuesday. And what we've basically got from those meetings was, yes, absolutely, we're all right on. We need to help public transportation in the south suburbs. And without Cook County partnering here and kind of almost leading the charge, I don't know if this would be available. But uh, once again, the leadership of President Preckwinkle really brought this together. Well, what are the kinds of things that can be done? Uh, you know, you're, the need is there, but in some cases you have transportation and the ridership isn't as robust as you want it to be. So it seems like you have, you're fighting different battles in different parts of the uh, Southland. As the study points out, and we typically agree with because of some of the survey work we've done, price point is an impediment to using Metro. Um, and the other biggest impediment to using Metra is the non-ability to transfer from service to service. You can transfer from PACE to CTA or CTA to a different CTA mode, but transferring into Metra is a completely different fare media, completely different fare structure. What the study suggests, and the service boards are going to all have to work together within our budgets and what we can and can't do, what, this, what the study suggests is a lowering of a price point in a pilot and then secondly, uh, integrating a fare that can be transferable. So they, they point out a free transfer, and this will provide a greater opportunity for the person using a PACE bus, maybe now having that free opportunity to transfer into Metra changes the way they use public transportation or the choice they make not to use public transportation. How would that work, though? Because, you know, even though everybody's technically... Uh, tied to the Ventra card. I mean, if you have a if you have a Metra uh, uh, app, you're you're some very often using it's a it's a Ventra app, but those you're you're not it's not being used the same way on the different lines. Yeah, correct. Right now, the way our app works is it basically is tying together to an account, and you feed the Ventra account into your Metra account, and then you buy your fare product. We would have very, very similar technology as what would be like on a PACE bus or a CTA bus or potentially even at a CTA rail station. Um, there'd have to be that seamless transition on the backside so that the revenue portion of all of this can be done and the, and the revenue share of this be done. So in our world, we're going to have to uh, invest and install that type of technology to make that seamless transfer. Um, is that going to be much of an expense? Uh, well, what's the real hurdle? Is it the money to do it? Or is it the getting the technology to do it? The first hurdle, of course, is the agreement between all the agencies to do it. This is a different step that we haven't been able to achieve in the past. So the first hurdle is, is I think, where we're at, uh, talking about making this kind of uh, improvement happen. The, there'll be a cost associated with it. There's many different ways to go about it. Like on, on the PACE bus, it's on every single bus. On Metra, if we put it on every single car, it has one price point. If we put it at every single station and make that the access point, that has a different price point. So we're going to do all the economics behind that. And in a lot of ways to figure out which one is the most economically feasible and which one also can be deployed as quick as it can. Would something that is at the station have to generate a paper ticket that uh, the uh, conductor could take? Uh, as opposed to in every car where, you know, something presumably not 
paper intensive could work. So I don't know the exact way it's going to work, but I do, I can tell you this, we've been out to other agencies because we've been interested in how does this work and how does other different cities do the transition between different modes. There's many different ways out there. It can be a paper. It can be a validation of paper. It can be an electronic validation on board of the Ventra card itself to show that within X period of time, so many dollars were executed on one of the other modes. And therefore then this one is only going to drop that card by whatever the fee is or share the fee between the two agencies on the electronic side of it. It probably makes the most sense to get it done that way, not to just generate some more paper. That's what our goal would be. And, and I know for those who do use, uh, Metra, uh, tickets uh, on, on the app, uh, they, if you have an active ticket, it vanishes. Uh, if it's a one ride ticket, it vanishes on its own when it's expired. And so I guess you're kind of doing some things that are compatible with that already, right? Yes. Yeah. There, once again, I think the technology piece, though, what you see today will not be the, the way it's going to happen in the future. Specifically, once if we pilot this and we get this launched off, um, it may be that it's only in the specific area that they're piloting and the other parts of the line eventually will catch up with that same technology to, to see if that's uh, something that you know, is allowable within the budget in the future. Um, are there other kinds of technology that uh, you're looking at uh, for making the rides easier? And, and you've talked about the signs uh, is one thing, but are there other things that uh, could be done that would be the either be more informative for the uh, passengers or make their moving from one place to another easier? Absolutely. Um, on the car itself, um, we're going to be replacing what's the onboard GPS system. Uh, the pilot program for that should be done by the end of this uh, fall, and then we'll start a rapid deployment onto the vehicle. So have, these vehicles are going to need basically new brain boxes. From that brain, brain box, it'll be able to send out the information, next station, safety alerts, um, delay of train. That then can be transposed onto a monitor, and that monitor can be used for various other things. It could be potentially used as a revenue maybe to sell cheeseburgers or coffee. But at the end of the day, it is about more robust communication. We're going to continue our conversation with Metra's Jim Derwinski in just one minute after this message. Welcome to Synfron Explains. Today on Synfron Explains, we talk about websites. People turn to the web for everything from recipes to information about candidates running for office. It must be one of your first tasks as a campaign to build a website that speaks to the voters. In Chicago, more than 30% of the population speaks a language other than English. You should consider a multilingual website. I'm Jason Bauman from Synfron Deras Media. We have produced website and content in English, Spanish, Polish, Chinese, Arabic, and Hindi. To learn more about how we can help you build your site, visit WeWinInIllinois.com. As part of our commitment to the community, please hear this important message. This year, over one and a half million people in the U.S. will be diagnosed with cancer. They will bravely make their stand to fight and survive. But one thing for sure, they never have to stand alone. They can have an Immerman angel standing beside them, providing free, personalized connections that bring one-on-one -on -one support for cancer fighters, survivors, and caregivers. As a proud supporter, we invite you to learn more or get involved at ImmermanAngels.org. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is James Derwinski. He's the CEO and executive director of Metra, the commuter rail line. Um, well, full disclosure, I am, in fact, a Metra rider. I take the BNSF uh, line just about every day. Uh, and 
Once upon a time, it was the the most on. It had the best on time record of the Metro system. Uh, it's had some uh, problems with delays and uh, whether it's switching problems or the like, um, and some mechanical issues too. Is that in some ways? Does it typify the general issue with uh, with railroads and with mass transit in this area? I mean, we're getting equipment problems and, and age and technical things. So in full disclosure, the best on-time performing line historically is Metro Electric District, formerly the Illinois Central. They run at 99 to 98% on time hmm. every single month. And you might ask yourself, what is the reason why? Well, we don't cross a single freight track and we don't have a single grade crossing on the main line. So no car is going to get in the way of the train and cause disruption. And um, as the railroad moves farther south, it goes from a four-track railroad to a two-track railroad all the way down to a one-track railroad. So the opportunities, although the, the throughput isn't there to run as many trains like on the Burlington Northern Santa Fe where it's a triple-track railroad over 40 miles, the fact of the matter is without freight train interference or automobile interference, you gain stuff like a 99% uh, on-time performance. Mm. So the BNSF is is an incredible line. Um, it's historic numbers, really 93.1 since about 1973, 74. On average, it's had some very good months into the 97 range, and it's had some very bad months. In the last 24 months, they've had some bad months, various different reasons, weather, switch failure, mechanical failure, and we install that positive train control. There was a learning curve behind that. What ends up happening on the Burlington Northern Santa Fe that's it's different than most of the lines is the fact that we're running during the heat of the rush hour, 26 trains now in a rush hour. So what ends up happening is one train experiences a switch failure, depending where at in the rush hour it is, what track it's on, and and where it's stuck, it can have this domino effect. And so it starts dominoing to maybe 10 or 15 trains in a heartbeat because it depends on the nature of the failure. Other lines, they just don't run that volume of trains and have the abilities to kind of mitigate how many passengers because they don't have the density that the Burlington Northern Santa Fe runs on. In a perfect world, the train would never have to cross tracks. It would come in on track one. It would never go to track two. But we use that middle track to pass trains, to express trains in. But eventually those trains have to go to one place. They're all going to Union Station. Union Station only has so many slots. So as a big train comes into Union Station, like a Naperville Express, 11 cars, it can only go to two different tracks because hmm. those are only the tracks that 11 cars can handle. If something happens, um, be it a switch failure, a mechanical failure, a crew issue, a, a um, issue on the train, medical issue, that next 11 car train needs a place to land and sometimes it can't. That delay in itself can start dominoing. It's a complicated operation to say the least. We do work with the Burlington Northern Santa Fe every single day. And they've constantly made improvements. I'm proud to say that three months in a row, they actually achieved over a 95, but every single day out there, there's challenges. Um, and is it, is it partly that you don't control a number of the pieces of this puzzle? Um, if there are going to be switch problems, those aren't Metro switches. Those are Amtrak switches. If there's a signal that's goofing up, that's not your signal. Um, you don't actually technically even run BNSF. Correct, yeah. How does all that mesh together? I mean, you know, people would ask, 
you know, only half jokingly, is this any way to run a railroad? That's correct. So the challenge there, of course, is our names on it. So the way it works is Metro owns all the equipment and provides the the, uh, the payment to run the service. BNSF employees do run the service. They dispatch the service out of Texas. They maintain the switches here in Chicago. And as soon as you hit Roosevelt Road, it shifts to Amtrak. And once again, like you pointed out, we don't own that. Those two railroads are so committed to passenger train operations in any city they operate they're especially committed to Chicago because it is the densest, most challenging area. The most resources are put here in Chicago. But it is sometimes frustrating. Passengers don't really care it's BNSF switch. They're on a Metro train in their head, and I'm late, and I don't want to hear it again from Metro. So we don't own it, but we do work with them. We do share, obviously, every single day lessons learned. Every day, all of the uh, five divisions under Metro's namesake meet and talk about uh, things that happened the day before to prevent things in the future, look at trends. Um, are there things that can be done with the technology or the equipment there? I mean, some do, do those switches need upgrading? They are some of the problems sometimes when the weather is very cold. Uh, do the signals need upgrading? So almost all the signals just were recently upgraded with the um, advent of PTC positive train control. They're all modernized. What, what sometimes happens with a signal failure, it's really the switch. So when the switch throws um, the, the points, the, the way edge that would guide the wheel have to touch, they physically have to touch the other rail. As you pointed out, when it gets cold, steel shrinks and as steel shrinks, the men have to go out there and uh, adjust the switch. So they do that when they know that it's getting cold out and then they'll adjust the switch to widen the points to comp- compensate for the cold. Opposite happens in the hot. So you do you do a lot of this adjustments normally, obviously, when the trains aren't running because of the fact that when, you, when a workman has to go on that railroad in that triple track environment, he shuts down the entire railroad for safety. So we're doing this at night. Sometimes when it's much colder and then throughout the day, you might have a 50, 70 degree temperature swing and then you still get further adjustments. So what Burlington Northern's done and they've led the way and now we're deploying on our railroad, our sections of railroad, we're putting in switch monitoring technology that will actually look at the current of the switch machine as it's throwing, it'll have a baseline. And as the currents are changing, it'll be an indicator to a, a, a workman that, hey, we need to get out there and take a look at it before it fails. We're excited about deploying the five that we're gonna deploy this year. And if this becomes a successful pilot program, I hope to deploy it all over the railroad at critical junctures. Who ends up paying for all of this maintenance when you've got different owners, different uh, controllers? How does how, how do you sort all that out? So on the Burlington Northern, we call it a purchase of service agreement. For the dollars that Metro pays the Burlington Northern, they maintain the railroad, they maintain the track, they maintain the signals, they operate the trains. They clean the trains. It's all part of the service contract. It's not a one-off every time somebody goes out. On any one of the uh, divisions under Metro, we have maintainers. We have signal people out there anytime trains are operating um, so that we can respond to some some problem. Now, sometimes, as I was just talking to some people in Downers Grove, um, the biggest problem is, like, say the gates uh, don't go back up and they're down and traffic starts backing up. The only person on the railroad who can put those gates back up and release that track is the maintainer. And he's stuck in that same traffic that has just gotten created by the gates, depending on the nature of the, uh, the, 
streets in the community. So it is a, it's a tough situation sometimes, especially for the community when the gates aren't. And, and I do want to ask you about the, the, something connected to that. And positive train control is really a safety program or, or safety technology. And how are the efforts to make the, uh, the rails safer coming along? I mean, people are used to the, what delays and changes in schedule they had to go through with PTC, but how is it working? So PTC on the Burlington Northern, they're 100% running every day. It's working very well. There was a big learning curve in the beginning, mostly for the human interactive part of it. Um, we have had several uh, software upgrades and continue to take a look at the different challenges as different things come up. Union Pacific had some learning curves, and then we had some uh, new challenges. So when they deployed it in December, they weren't doing track construction. And as we got into track construction season, they had to adjust some things to take a look at how a, a PTC operated train goes through a work zone. So all of these things are constantly evolving, but overall the system is doing what it should do. We've got it now operating on six lines and we continue to uh, put it out by the end of 2020 is our requirement. Well, with the time we have left uh, a few minutes, uh, I want to ask about another issue and that is union station. First off, there's going to be, and there, well, there's a lot going on at union station now, a lot of construction, some of it is just keeping the roof from falling in on people's heads. But uh, there's a lot of plans. But that station, again, that's an Amtrak station. You guys run the, most of the trains out of there, and you, you've offered to, uh, to take that over. How's that? How are those talks going? Well, those talks continue. So our, we have a lease agreement with them for access within there. We're actually currently negotiating with Amtrak on the lease agreement. And we've offered uh, very clearly to take over the operations of Union Station. That hasn't been something that's been well received by the Amtrak, by Amtrak itself. Um, our thought is if we're going to invest Illinois dollars into an asset like that at the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars, the taxpayers of Illinois deserve some ownership in it. That's been really our theme all along. Um, and it is a complicated situation um, because the building owners have a responsibility with part of the ceilings. Amtrak has a responsibility with part of the ceilings. Um, we definitely have participated throughout our entire lease, 35 years, to the tune of $131 million in capital upgrades. Those upgrades are the signal systems, the switches, and the tracks. We just recently applied for a joint capital grant to improve the concourse area of the station. Hoping to get word on that in the next couple of weeks where Amtrak and Metro would be providing a portion of a, a much larger grant to totally open up the concourse. Um, I was at a uh, congressional hearing here in Chicago uh, where the question was put to the folks at Amtrak about this kind of issue and your uh, offer to take over. And I recall what the, uh, what the Amtrak spokesman said, or it wasn't a spokesman, it was one of the uh, top officials. We are not interested in giving up control over any of our assets. And that was repeated. <laughs> uh, does that mean pretty much that's off the table Then that you guys just have to work around the fact that they're, they're not going to ever <laughs> give you union station? Well, I would say there's a couple of different things. First off, the people that work at union station and at Metro on the ground, those people do an incredible job working together every day to make sure the passengers are taken care of and the trains are taken care of. From a global perspective, when you get up into the corporate world, I guess in one respect, we've heard what they've said. We're still asking them to continue to listen to the other side of the story where possibly we believe 
both sides would benefit. Well, that's going to be the final word, and thank you very much. That is Metra Executive Director and CEO Jim Derwinski. Uh, it has been a pleasure to uh, to have you in, and I am sure you will be back again because there's always so much happening in transportation. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcast on Radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.